verses explain it for Trinity uh, 15, and uh, the gospel for our time together is Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 19 through 34. So this little phrase, uh, give us this day our daily bread, um, yes, it's familiar to us because it's in the Lord's Prayer. Um, Jesus teaches us to pray that way. And by the way, I, I just kind of thought of it this way, that when uh, we say, give us this day our daily bread, yes, our mind is um, drawn to all the daily needs that we might have to sustain us. But if Jesus is really the, the substance of all of the scriptures, and he is the real, true uh, living bread, then when we say, you know, give us this day our daily bread, I think also that's a, a continual prayer for us to be nourished by by Jesus himself. And um, so, yes, he does give the, the physical daily needs that uh, we have, but how much more does he sustain us and, and nourish us with himself, especially uh, in the Lord's uh, Supper? But this phrase, uh, give us this day our daily bread, doesn't necessarily just... Um, you know, uh, begin with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it goes back uh, to at least to Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 30. And by the way, I don't think I've ever heard any prosperity preacher on TV or in a book ever reference uh, this uh, set of scriptures and the prayers that go along with it. So here it is, Proverbs 30. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And so there's these three prayers really embedded uh, in this uh, in this proverb from chapter 30. Uh, the first one, I don't, I guess I, I just don't hear people pray like this. Lord, don't give me too much. Um... You know, I've heard uh, the second prayer, Lord, don't give me too little. But um, this one, Lord, just give me my daily bread. So rooted in the prayer, Lord, don't give me too much, is the thought that if I have too much, my my heart will um, put its trust in what I have, and I will disown God, and so there become another God. And if I have too little, then I'll be tempted to uh, steal and tempted towards unbelief um, about who God is. But we let God decide then, you know, Lord, just give me my daily bread. So he knows, I guess, I think each of our hearts, he knows how much is too much and how much is too little. And and so the prayer is for God really to decide then uh, as he gives us the daily bread. Now, um, money, um, it's also kind of in the older versions of the scriptures called mammon. Money really is the great revealer. And you can tell um, what God you have by, I think, answering these questions. So what do you do when you have, and then you fill in the blank, when you have money or the position that you had always uh, worked for or some, you know, set of uh, reputation or a skill or health? So what do you do when you have those things? Um, And then ask the question, what do you do when you don't? So what, what is your attitude? What is your, your heart like when you don't have the position, when you don't have the wealth, when you don't have health? 
And I think that's a pretty good revealer, those two questions as to where your trust is and, and who your master is and, and what has a hold of you. So this is Matthew 6, speaking of this, this idea of masters. So who owns, uh, who owns your heart? Who is, uh, has control over it? So Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so often we say that you know, the commandment, especially the first one, will always be talking about Jesus wanting to be only. Not first among many, but rather alone. So no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Now, who is the master and who is the servant? Well, because of a corrupted, uh, sinful nature now, the creatures have uh, turned and uh, they want to trust in themselves or they want to put their, their trust in other created uh, objects or beings, you know. So, so uh, in the Old Testament, you would hear actually of a creature creating an idol out of something else. So a creature worshiping a creature. Uh, as opposed to creatures are to trust the one that that made them, that created them. And then money um, needs to be you know distinguished not as money is bad, but rather money is a gift from the creator that creatures are to use. But money shouldn't become the object of worship. And we'll find that money is really a, quite a gift. Mammon, you know, these gifts that God gives to us, quite a gift for the use of the kingdom to uh, to love and to serve the neighbor. So the first commandment and the, the first article of the creed uh, really just drive that right home into our heart. That's how they begin. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Puts it right into perspective. Who's the creator? Who's the creature? Who's to be worshiped? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And the first article of the creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Again, setting it, setting it straight. Who is the creator and who's the creature? Who's master and who's the servant? Psalm 145, it was our, uh, our psalm uh, for this Sunday. It says, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. So where is the, where is the attention? Where is uh, the object of uh, trust and hope from which, um, you know, an open hand satisfies the desires of all good things uh, and gives us all good things. Deuteronomy 6, um, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your forefathers to give you, fear the Lord your God. And here's this, this only language, serve him only. You don't follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. So jealous always has this, this sense of a relationship, right? So husbands and wives and, you know, if maybe, uh, you know, you're dating at this time uh, or you know your kids, you know, they have this the, the kind of this eye out for this, this special, um, you know, individual. Uh, they get jealous when the attention goes somewhere else, right? So jealous, by its very definition, is a only, it's an only word, only in relationship alone, right? So God is a jealous God. First John chapter 2, uh, Jesus um, is always speaking about the world in the Gospels, but the Apostle John says, so don't love the world. 
or anything in the world, you know, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, uh, these things, they say, they, they pass away. Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul says, so when you're dealing with these idols, you are to put to death these things that want to take the place of God. So whatever belongs to your earthly nature, your, the sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. And then he says, this greed, which is idolatry. Again, the money is not the issue. It is uh, putting this money in the place of the one who has given it uh, to us. So the creature then, um, it's, if when money is the, the idol, the creature trusts in something beyond the giver beyond the creator. Now, some have used this idea of, okay, well, God gives us all good things and, and we're not to worry about life. And that means, well, you know, I, I shouldn't necessarily exert any energy and work, but rather work is godly action. Uh, it's a godly endeavor. It is a beautiful vocation that God has given to us to care for the creation and care for one another. What is ungodly is worry. So worry is also full of activity, but it's this, this ungodly activity. Uh, you know, it, it's like this action that takes place, but it never gets you anywhere. Work is a godly action. Something actually happens. Worry is an ungodly activity because you might be moving around, especially in your mind, but nothing, nothing, uh, nothing is benefited from it. So Psalm 127 puts that into perspective and says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Again, creature and creator. So Jesus says in the gospel lesson, um, you could categorize them into these three uh, thoughts. So Jesus says, so yes, don't worry. Don't worry because he's going to tell us that, you know, worrying is again an activity. It keeps you busy, but nothing really moves forward with it. There's no real godly action in it. Uh, he says, so don't worry. Well, okay, my mind is active, you might say. I, I worry all the time. Well, then Jesus will say, let's redirect your thinking about things. Let's, let's call it meditation. So let's take that busy mind, that active mind, and now let's think about these things that your Father knows, that your Father provides. And then to really give that uh, perspective, he says, now let's, let's direct your attention, your eyes, and look. Look at the birds and look at the lilies of the field. So those three thoughts go through this gospel lesson. So here it is, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today, tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So there's this kingdom economy in um, this, uh, these words of Jesus. Um, and it's also seen in the Apostle Paul. And again, all things are rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why we call our time together, explain it. So we're always trying to understand how Jesus uh, is at the center of the promises in the scripture. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, our mind should go to also the real bread of life, which is which is Jesus. So the Apostle Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so this is the, the humiliation and exaltation of Jesus. So the very Son of God takes on human flesh and, and takes the, the form of a servant and makes himself nothing. So he who is rich now for our sakes humbles himself and becomes poor. And there's this great exchange here. For what purpose? So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, that's not to be meant in a wealth and health prosperity way. Um, Jesus himself tries to make that very clear. It's not so clear to those who don't want to hear it in, in the Gospels, but he says, blessed are, and he says, blessed are the poor, in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Martin Luther is always fond of speaking of the Christian life as uh, we who are uh, beggars. And we are always uh, receiving the gifts of Christ. So when it says, seek first his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This means we come as a beggar um, with our hands empty to receive all of the righteousness of Jesus, all of the gifts of Jesus, all of the works of Jesus. We're poor with all of those. We don't have anything to bring, to, no works, no righteousness to bring to Jesus. But he is rich, and he goes to the cross, and he humbles himself, and he becomes poor so that through that cross and that, that death and that resurrection, he can then give to us not the wage of sin, which is death, but rather all the, the root rich fruits of his his victory over sin and death and the devil. And so we who are poor in spirit, we're, we were, we're, we're, uh, are put in a place where we're, we're so receptive to it that we open our hands to it and we receive it through faith. But when we're rich in our own minds, well, okay, then we then put ourselves in a place of um, being the 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 creator and, and not necessarily the creature, um, so dependent on the triune God for all of his gifts. So there's this kingdom economy that you hear throughout the, the stories, and we dare not turn it into physicality, you know, so this idea of, well, if I'm just poor, then God promises to make me rich. No, again, back to Proverbs, don't give me too much, don't give me too little, give me only my daily bread, and always understanding that the riches we have are in uh, always in Christ Jesus. Now, for those of you who um, um, know how to how to worry really well, there's some good news from the gospel and from Philippians that that allows us to redirect this very active mind of ours towards something actually constructive. 
uh, something which the Bible would r reference as meditation. So worry and meditation are really the same same things, the same skill set, which is very, very busy mind, always thinking, you know, and you're never letting it go. And if you do it, you come back to it right away, but you look at it from a different angle and, and uh, you might be kind of quiet without saying anything, but your mind is always going. Well, the object of worry um, and the object of meditation just, you know, are, are different. So same activity, but different object. Meditation is always, you know, focused on the person and the work of Jesus, the words of Scripture. Worry is always on, you know, something that you can't control. So Paul says, Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. And he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that something, right? The heart and the mind, uh, that really becomes sometimes the devil's playground. And he comes as a bully, you know, and takes the events of this world or the things that are dear to us and we become worried about them and anxious about them and he pushes us around uh, and uh, the Lord Jesus comes and says I want to give you a peace a peace that's going to transcend all understanding and I want to put a fortress around your heart and a fortress around your mind and so then now the worrying the active mind switches from the circumstance to the promise you know, the object of meditation is always the promise of Christ, who does not lie to us. So that's why Paul says, and then, brothers, whatever is true, and whatever is noble, and whatever is right, and whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what does it say there? Think. You think about such things. After uh, Matthew chapter 6, there's this beautiful transition into Matthew uh, chapter 7 where God is referenced as a father by Jesus. So Jesus is, you know, been saying all these things about don't worry about your life, about, you know, food or clothing, seek first the kingdom. And then in Matthew chapter 7, he uh, says, you know, these words, which are maybe familiar to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Right? And then he, he speaks of a father, and he says, Which of you fathers, if your son comes to you, and he's hungry, and he asks for bread, which of your fathers would ever give him a stone? Or, you know, if he asks for something to eat, you know, like an egg, would he ever give him a snake or a scorpion? And Jesus says, you know, though your fathers are not perfect, yet your heavenly Father uh, in heaven is perfect. And so he says, God is your, your father. So it's interesting that we can speak of God as the creator of the universe, but that's kind of a high and almost distant idea, right? God has created it. Maybe he's far off somewhere. But Jesus invites us to see the creator of all things as father. And so that's then the invitation in the Lord's Prayer. That's how it begins our Father who art in heaven. So we can never speak to the creator of the universe, this triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We can never have this relational um, you know, prayer as, as Father apart from Jesus. So um, the thought is this, is that God the Father sends his Son 
into the world and the Holy Spirit gives us the faith to believe that what Christ has done is for us. And so now we're reconciled to God. So that's a downward, you could look at it that way, downward activity of God. The Father sends the Son and they then send the Holy Spirit so that we have faith to believe in this, this God who is a Father. So then when we pray, we go up the ladder uh, with this sense, kind of like praying in faith, that's a gift of the Holy Spirit, through the work of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we are then, he's our brother, he brings us right before the Father, and now he intercedes for us, and we can boldly now come before him with all of these needs. And so back to the, the phrase of the Old Testament, give us this day our daily bread. So Martin Luther in his small catechism um, gave a really beautiful and concise uh, explanation to this. He says, so what does this mean? He says, well, God gives daily bread, even without our prayer, to all wicked men, but we pray in this petition that he would lead us to know it and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. So God is so gracious, he gives he gives daily bread, everything that we need, without us even praying for it. You know, the Christian farmer and the non-Christian farmer, they both get the sunshine and they both get the rain, but the Christian is the one who knows who to thank for it. Luther continues, so what is meant by daily bread? He says, well, everything that belongs to the support and wants of the body, such as meat and drink and clothing and shoes and house and homestead and field and cattle and money, goods, a pious spouse and pious children, pious servants, pious and faithful magistrates, good government, good weather, peace, health, discipline, honor, good friends, faithful neighbors, and then uh, he closes it which is with, with kind of a summation with these three words, and the like, which means every, everything and anything else that you might, might need. Luther then also in the first article of the Creed speaks of this Father as one who not only provides for us, but defends us as, as well. And he does this, well, here at the end, not because of any merit or worthiness in us, but rather solely by grace and always through uh, the person and the work of his son, the Lord Jesus. So we'll close with this. This is the meaning to the first article of the Apostles' Creed, and, and Martin Luther says it this way. I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them, he also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger, guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this, it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey Him. This is most certainly true. <laughs>